God in heaven, we turn our attention to your, to your word now. And um, we just want to be open and honest, Father, that we need your help as we come into this text. We need your help as we sit under what your spirit might do through your word. And so we ask for that now. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's an emotional day. Um, I will not make it through. I'm sorry, Um, but not sorry. It's just one of those things. Um, I cry freely. And uh, anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. So uh, I won't think it's whispers while I'm talking. I'll just think it's sniffles along with me, and I will feel comforted. Um, I got a little bit nervous. <clears throat> Preacher's got to preach, right? So, golly days. Um, Matt gets a mic, and he just wants to take half my message. So, um, we'll just reiterate some of what already has been said. But uh, you're going to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. That's where we're going to anchor ourselves. I'm sorry, my name is Chris Magruder. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, normally, week after week, I get to stand over here. Um, I'd just like to say thank you to our worship team. Um, I know what it feels like to stand in that spot and not feel like you're even 10%. 10% mentally there, 10% in your heart, vocally, stamina-wise. So um, God, has, God has gifted us with some faithful people that just pour their, their lives out and serve us in a way um, these people serve me every week, even though I get to lead you. So um, it's a beautiful thing. I'm glad to be a part of it. This Sunday is Adoption and Orphan Care Sunday. And so um, we'll be looking at the subject of adoption as it's found in the Bible. We're going to parallel, we're going to look at a story of adoption, physical adoption, and parallel it with our spiritual adoption, okay? Um, but Matt referenced James chapter 1, verse 27. And in that it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit or look after, get that in your heads because we'll reference it, to look after orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We heard of one way that you can be looking after orphans. We're going to talk about another, that of adoption. Adoption is the act of becoming a member of a new family. And being able to take part in all the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities associated with that family. I'll be real honest with you. If I had the opportunity right now at 44 to be adopted into a rich family, I would take it. (laughs) And I would guarantee you I would never fly commercial again. (laughs) I would never go through the angst of having to wonder, will my bag fit in the overhead compartment? I'll never have to worry about, am I going to be in between two sweaty, overweight guys stuck in the middle seat? I'm always sitting in the aisle. I'm always going to have a place for my baggage because I'm not flying commercial. That's one of the privileges of being adopted into a rich family. So just a part of the flesh, just coming out this morning, I just want to be real bare bones honest with you. When When we approach a subject like this, when we get a Sunday like this, you can feel this heaviness in the room, but I want to relieve you of this pressure, okay? Just... Just sit back and relax. You may have had this discussion in your home where like, hey, honey, I think we ought to adopt. Hey, honey, I think we ought to, we ought to be a foster parent or provide even respite care or be one of those grandparents 
to those kids that just need love. And, and you've had some conflict in your home, and one spouse wants to do it, and the other spouse isn't too convinced. Let me just free you. This is not a moment. This Sunday is not going to be a, a moment full of ammo for you to be able to look at the other one and say, I told you so. It's in, it's in the Scriptures. The pastor said it, so it must be right. We must do it. So just take, relieve that pressure from you so you don't have any domestics when you get home, so you, so you can live in unity and love each other and love Jesus, and you'll be okay, okay? So, so what we're talking about is the command that we're given in Scripture. And it's not to foster. We're not all called to foster. We're not all called to adopt. But we are all called to look after. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing? With all the information, with the testimony that was given, with the, with the words and the statistics that, that Matt shared with us, how are we doing? How are you doing? How are we doing as a church? I'll say the church in America is not doing a very good job. So if we funnel that down to here in Wilmington, then we can kind of look at ourselves clearly and honestly in the mirror and say, how are we doing? How are we doing as a family looking after orphans? You might not like the answer, but I'll let you and the Spirit of God deal with it. I believe one of the hardest areas to approach this subject, to approach this topic or text like what we're going to see today, is what does it mean in our immediate context? What are we called to do? And you have to do the work. As you sit under the preaching of God's Word, then you have to take what you heard and figure out through the Spirit of God how it relates to you. What are you called to do? What action are you called to be a part of? So we've heard of foster care. They were in the trenches. We got to live through some of that. We got to watch the Harmons in that. Some of you have been in foster care. You, you've, you've served in that area. You've served children in that area. Uh, that's one area, uh, one way of looking after. The other is adoption. Adoption is a, just a step beyond. It's not any better or worse. It's just a step more invested. Because once you get them, you don't give them back. So I thought it would be appropriate, I thought it would be helpful to share a story. Now, this, this story is not one that we've shared publicly in this kind of forum. And, and that's probably why there's so much emotion. And I don't know if it's joy or excitement or fear or what, but there's something. There's something it's just going around in there. It could be the chili from yesterday, really, to be honest with you. Thanks, Thanks Becky. <laughs> um, but I'm going to ask Jen to, to come up. This is my bride. I'm amazed at how many people don't know who goes with who. Um, this is my bride. Not anybody else that you had in your mind. This is her. This is my completer. This is the other half of me. No, green light on me. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to try to squanch, if that's a word, 30-some 30, 30 years down in to 10 minutes. So listen well, we'll talk fast. Um, in about 1990, um, don't look at me. Um, <coughs> in about, yeah, never mind, I'll do this by myself. Uh, in 1990, um, the Lord moved Jennifer's family to my hometown. And I remember very vividly the first moment I ever saw her. 
was 12 years old. She was 11 years old. I rounded the corner, and there she was standing, holding Mrs. Goodrich's door open. It's room 623. She had her back against the door, and I could see her face. And I looked at her, and I said, that is the woman that I want to marry. Sounds crazy. I would not recommend it to you 12-year-olds if you're in here, right? <laughs> but that's the way the Lord gifted me. It worked out. We're good. It's, it's fine. But I remember it. We began what our parents coined um, a relationship of being special friends. Because um, we were in a good Christian home. You couldn't, couldn't have anything further. And, and we were going together which in the 1990s, those are the terms you use, but we never went anywhere but church and school. But we were, we were in a relationship, and our relationship grew. We shared a lot of experiences, and our friendship grew. That's my best friend in the world. And when I was 16, I found out that my dad was adopted. And so I got to share that experience with, with Jen. It didn't shake my foundation of who I was. I was 16. I was a cocky, mouthy, young kid, kind of like some of you were when you were 16. But I remember thinking very wisely, it may be the, the wise thought I had when I was 16, this is, this is huge, that way back then, there's this family that for whatever reason, there's a lot of baggage, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot to the story that I won't unpack, it's not for this form, but there's, there was this family that was courageous enough to give up this little boy. And in the mid-1950s, there was this other family that couldn't have kids that looked and said, we'll take that boy. And at four and a half or five years old, my dad was adopted. And at 16, my mind began to, to rattle through the what-ifs. What if that, that family wasn't courageous? What if that family wasn't in need of a, of a baby, of a little boy? And if they didn't say, yes, we'll take him. Well, then that little boy likely would not have grown up in the same area and likely would not have met that little girl that they would have become friends with and grown up in school and then married one day and had three kids, two girls and a boy, the boy in the middle that now stands before you today. I'm a product of adoption. I'm here because of adoption. And if that family wasn't courageous and that family didn't take that baby and if that little boy then wasn't put in that position to meet that little girl and they didn't become friends and they didn't have a good marriage and if they didn't have babies, then I wouldn't have my babies because I wouldn't be in the position I was to round that corner and to see Miss Goodrich's door and to say, that is the woman I want. She is the one I want to be my wife. We had shared experiences we had different things as we came into our relationship that, that helped form our bond, but also prepared us and propelled us for our marriage and for how we live even today. Jen came when she was into my life when she was 11. So she had 11 years before she met me. <laughs> and some of that, she's going to share now, some of that is, is, is what helped us get to the place we're at today. Yeah, so I think, um, well, I was going to say that um, our experiences shaped us with hearts for adoption and foster care before we were even married. <clears throat> and mine was from my parents were foster parents. I can't look over there. No, don't. My parents don't. are here. <laughs> you just look at Matt. Um, just look at Matt. So, right. uh, Matt. <laughs> um, my parents were foster parents when I was very young, like um, lower elementary for several years. 
um, and they fostered babies. So we, um, they worked with a Christian adoption agency, um, and they uh, had babies in their home while they were waiting to be placed with their adoptive families. So adoption and orphan care was like a very normal thing for me. Like, I had that understanding that that was something that people did from the time that I was very young. Um, and that we, as a family, my parents um, created a home where we were very welcoming to people. Um, they were only foster parents for a few years, but then we always had someone extra living in our home. <laughs> like, cousins, friends, foreign exchange students, um, I think probably people we didn't know sometimes. We just had a very open home. Um, so I was raised in a home that was very um, welcoming, and it was a very normal thing for us to care for people that needed, um, needed a place and needed to be cared for. And so obviously I came into our relationship with kind of that understanding and that backdrop in my life. I remember sitting on the couches at our, at our parents' house um, because we didn't go anywhere, so um, we were always allowed to be there. Uh, really wise, fatherly move, by the way, guys. If you got girls, just have them come to your house, and that way you can clean up the crime scene. Um, and, so, and so I remember sitting on the couches and flipping through photo books or photo albums, because that's what you did in the 90s, and, and there was all these pictures of babies. Like, who in the world are all these kids? Where'd all these kids go? It was like their, their house was just like full of like strays. They just had people coming in and out. It was just, it was just abnormal to me. But that was what she brought to, to the relationship. You fast forward some 10 years. We get married in 2000. Uh, we waited a good two and a half years um, till we, a long time, till we had our first. We had Marcus in 2003. And then 18 months later, we had Micah in 2004. And we were done. We, I was done having children. <laughs> we, Jen set out some parameters. Yes. When, when I... This is not prescriptive. Just, yep. It just tells you Before kind of Before we got at. married, we did talk about adoption mm -hmm. um, and foster care and also, like most young married people do, about how we wanted our family to look. And I, um, I really... It was a goal in my mind to have my kids be very close together, like two years apart-ish, and that I wanted to be done having children by the time I was 30. So, you know, I handed that list to God and said, here's what I would like to have. Thank you very much. Yeah, you work on this, Lord. <laughs> um, so at the end of so having two kids, um, we, were, we were just there in our mid-20s, so we had plenty of time left, mm -hmm. but we got outside the two-year bracket. So I knew this was a conversation that was not going to be received well because I knew the prenuptial, right? <laughs> I knew, the, like, this is my desire. Um, for a while, suppressed it. For a while, pushed it, pushed it down. Um, in about 07-ish, beginning of 08, is when I came to Jen and said, I believe that the Lord is, is going to give us more kids. I believe we need to have more kids. And so we had to work through that relationally. We had to work through that. Just She had to come to grips with like, this is where the Lord's leading us. I had to come to grips with like, how in the world are we going to do this? Um, adoption obviously came back up into the picture because we were tender to it from, from the very beginning. And so we began... And I was getting close to 30, so... so she was looking at all her options. And um, so... We began to look into adoption. We began to go to different organizations and had meetings. 
um, sat through classes and found out it's extremely expensive. At the time, I was making $37,000 a year as a police officer, single income in our home of four. It cost, they told me, when they told me it cost $40,000 to adopt a kid, I about fell out the chair. I was like, well, thanks for your time, but I got to get out of here. There's no way I can afford that. So I told God, no, this is impossible. We'll just keep, keep we'll try to figure something out, but this, this isn't going to work. Surely you can't work in this way. So we get to the, the fall, the, the winter of 08, and I remember leaning against a truck in my driveway and talking with one of my old friends, old as in been a friend for a long time. He's also 20 years older than me, but a good friend that, that loved Jesus, loves Jesus. And I knew that he prayed. And so leaning against that truck on that evening in the, the fall or winter of 08, I looked at him. I said, Steve, will you pray about this with us? We, we're kicking the tires on adoption, and none of this is making sense and scared, and we need some help. We need some direction. And he said, I, I'd love to. That, sorry, that's how he talks. And, um, and so he began to pray, and I knew he was praying. He checked up on me, and, and then fast forward a couple months, January, February time frame, Jen gets pregnant. And so we think it's highly irresponsible to, to pursue both and so we press pause on adoption, and because this little one is, is forming, there's no, there's no this, this train has left the station. And so we begin the year of 2009 pregnant, still having this, this itch and desire, and, and, and maybe a call to adopt, scratching at our, at our hearts. And uh, we, we just live life. In the spring of 09, we, the boys played soccer. And so on Saturday mornings, we were at the soccer field watching all the kids chase one ball, yelling as parents as if we had some right to, to yell and coach from the sidelines. And in the fall, we, we started football, and that was always a fun time. They played flag football, and they were so small that the flags drugged the ground. It was awesome. September 9th of 2009, we get a phone call. It's a Wednesday night. I'm standing here in our house, Jen is, Jen is seated, and I get the phone call, and who is it? It's my buddy Steve. Now, I talk to Steve every day. There's no exaggeration. Every day I talk to Steve for years. And he calls me, he says, he says, Chris, um, I'm headed home from prayer meeting. And our church at that time had prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. I'm headed home from prayer meeting, and I just got to tell you about this. I said, okay, Steve, go ahead. It's not abnormal for him to call me. It's not abnormal for him to call me and tell me some kind of whatever he's learning or he heard. Or... He says, a lady's, lady stood up in prayer meeting today, tonight, and she said this, she, she told this story. She began to talk about how this little boy was in this family, friends of hers, and they were unable to care for this little boy. And they were, they're probably going to have to put him into the system or figure out something, but they wanted him to be adopted by a good Christian family. And so she just stood up, not knowing anything, not knowing about the time in the fall when I leaned up against the truck and we began to pray about this together. But Steve knew. Steve hears this. He doesn't get involved, except on the way home he gives me a call. I said, Steve, this is coming out of left field. We press pause if you don't, don't remember. Like Jen is seven months pregnant. There's no hiding this. 
And so she, she, was, she, was, she was pregnant. And um, I said, Steve, give us 48 hours. We need 48 hours. I'll let you know something on Friday. So what we did over 48 hours is we prayed the prayers that we'd been praying about adoption. And we talked to our community and we talked to our friends and we called our parents. And at the age of 30, I called my parents. And asked for help. I don't know what to do. Come Friday, it was confirmed everybody was in unity. All of our community, all of our parents, we knew what the Lord was telling us. And so on Friday, we decided, hey, let's meet this family. The next Monday, we take our children's pastor because we wanted accountability, and we wanted somebody there because this seemed really sketchy, to be honest. We talked to our attorney beforehand. Are we doing anything weird here? Because this seems kind of cart before the horse. We're not going through an agency. This family's just calling us and saying, hey, we were fine legally. And we, uh, so we walk up to this apartment door and I make the hardest knock in my life on this door. They swing open the door. And I'd like to tell you that it was some kind of vision from the Lord or some kind of like rays of sunlight coming out, but it wasn't. It was just another family with a kid on the floor playing. And we walked into their apartment and sat down and talked to them. And they told their story and we told ours. And I remember looking down. And Jim was pregnant. She had a long black dress on. And she was sitting there on the floor. And I just noticed she's doing what she does. She's, she's playing trains and playing cars and tickling this little pudgy little boy. And there's this two-and-a-half-year-old little boy, and, and, but it's, it's their boy. So I didn't have, like, this, this weird feeling of, like, let's, let's snatch this kid up and, and leave. <clears throat> well, we do our, our deal. We, we sit there and talk. We stand up to leave. And I didn't know this, but they were so serious, they had his bag packed that night. And we said, whoa, oh, easy. This is not how we function. Um, we asked for 24 more hours to pray about it because we hadn't been praying enough, right? We still were not convinced. Like 24 more hours. And so we, we took 24 more hours. We talk, called our community. We called our friends. We called our parents. And 24 hours later, the answer that we knew but was confirmed was yes. So on Tuesday, we, make no, we, we tell them, hey, we're going we're gonna to move forward with this. The Lord is in this. I said, but I was really convinced that um, every, every child that came into our home had a place. <clears throat> and there was an overt look in our home that they were welcome and wanted and planned for. I didn't have any of that. We had given away all our clothes, given away all the toys, given well, away everything. And I was seven months pregnant, so I was like in nesting mode too. Um, and so we, it was really important to us that we welcome a child into our home in the same way that we had, in some similar way to the way that we had welcomed our other children into our home, um, to have a place paired for him. 
And um, so our community came around us in a huge way because we had thought that we weren't going to have any more children, so we really had gotten rid of everything. We didn't have anything for a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, so um, they, we painted a room and um, got a bed and painted a bed. I think he had two quilts by the time he got there on Friday that people had made Four for days. <laughs> two ladies made two quilts. Who does um, that? And our community just came around us and gave us clothes and um, helped uphair our home and, and our hearts, really, um, to welcome, welcome him. This experience in life, those four days, wove into the fabric of who we are and how we live, this aspect of community. And that's a separate message, but I'll tell you, the way that our people came around us, there wasn't a time for, for a good part of a year where our friends and family, people we didn't even know, would walk up to us and hand us a check or hand us cash. Remember that fear that I had before? I sold the, the Lord short where I only made $37,000 a year and it cost 40000 to adopt a kid. I can't do this because I don't have the money. God said, I got you. Don't worry about it. And every time they would lay, hand, uh, lay money in my hand, they were saying, you're not adopting this kid. We're adopting this kid. And don't you know, a lot of them are still involved still care for, still pray for, still, still reach out because what became our boy is their boy as well. I can't, I, can't, I can't overstate how much our community meant to us in that process. And just as a side note, totally off my notes, um, you're trying to wonder, you're trying to figure out what does this look like in my immediate context to look after Maybe you're the person that says, hey, I got, a, I got a toddler bed. Hey, I can sew a quilt or quilt a quilt or whatever you do with a quilt. Here, here's some money. Here's some food. Uh, fast forward for the sake of time. Uh, we were told that um, the government and the red tape of adoption is not, um, is not helpful to parents like us. They said this could take a long time. You're talking a year plus, maybe two years to get everything finalized. In 11 months, we stood before a judge and the judge dropped his gavel. And CJ became our son. He was now a member of our family. He was a brother to these other boys. He was our child. God works in, in ways that we don't fully understand. God works in ways that we don't really see coming. But I'll tell you this. Physical adoption and spiritual adoption radically changes us. It changes us forever. Our family has been imprinted by adoption physically. It's also been imprinted by adoption spiritually. Thank you, love. How we and our family related to CJ from that first time we met is now different. What started, remember, is Jen, seven months pregnant, sitting in a long black dress, playing with trains and cars and tickling this pudgy kid, somebody else's kid, became me looking down at this boy and saying, that's my son. I told you to go to Ephesians 1 at the very beginning. Go to Ephesians 1. And I promise we will, we will pick up the pace 
But I think it's important for you to hear the, the context by which I look at this verse, but the context by which you can, you can see this passage, whether it's your physical story or your spiritual story. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. If you read Paul at all, you're going to see where he walks through an order of salvation. You have the, the election, the gospel call, the regeneration. You have the conversion. And he, and he speaks a lot in Galatians about justification. Or you have right standing legally before the Lord. If you consolidated all of, the, all of the writings about the doctrines found in God's Word, and you tried to gather up all of the ones that have been written about adoption, you'd probably be shocked at how few resources and, and time, time has been spent writing about the adoption as sons of God. Adoption is God's formal acceptance into, into the family of God. Is that relationship with God. If justification is the legal standing, adoption is the relational. Something happens when we are adopted into the family of God. Something happened when CJ came into our home. Once somebody else's kid, now my kid, and he looked up at me and calls me daddy. He looks up at Jen and calls her mama. I remember the day that we went and picked him up on that Friday, and we walked to this, this back patio of this apartment, and all his family's standing there, and there's tears in their eyes, and there's tears in her eyes. It's a highly emotional uh, situation. And I reach out, because we're at that time where it's time to part, it's time to leave, and I reach out to, to gather up CJ, and he reaches his pudgy little hands towards me, and he wraps his arms around my neck. And me and my wife... My older two boys now turn and walk to our car. And boy number one gets in his seat, and he buckles up, and boy number two gets in his seat, and he buckles up, and I reach across, and I put boy number three, son number three, in his seat and buckle him up, and we leave as a family of five. Adoption radically changes us. It changes how we relate with each other. And our spiritual adoption changes how God relates to us. It's through the work of the Spirit, Romans 8 tells us that that through this adoption as sons, we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can call out to God as our Father. The Spirit gives us that. The gift of the Spirit gives us that ability, gives us that instinct to call Him. We're not just rightly declared a part of His family. If you read the Old Testament, you won't find where a, a child of God refers to and speaks to God Almighty as their Father. This is something unique when you get when the Spirit is given. What changes is our relationship with the Father, once enemies of God and now family. Ephesians 1.5 says that we are called sons, and you can put in parentheses, and daughters. In the context here, they wouldn't have said and daughters because of the cultural context. That's for another day. But just know when you see this, ladies, this can be you as well. 
What I find comforting here in Ephesians 1 is the plan of God. This was His plan. He prepared it beforehand. He isn't stuck with us. He wants us. Russell Moore has called this the true and right planned parenthood. There was a plan before time. There's a plan. Look at what he says. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Once not a child of God, now through the work of Jesus, a child of God. Before the foundation of the world. That means before the sun began to burn. Before the stars were cast into the galaxies. Before the earth rotated on its axis. Before time began and time began to march on. Before God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, creating man a living soul. God chose you. And you have all these excuses, and I have all these excuses of why I'm unlovely and why I should just be that other person's kid and why I couldn't be the one that could actually feel the loving arms of the Father and know that He is my Father and I am His Son. But the Word of God is very clear that He chose us in before the foundation of the world, before you had the ability to defame his name. Before you had the opportunity to sin against him, even knowing that you would, he chose you. Knowing full well our background and who we were born to. I like the picture that's found in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 2, we get to the to the ending point of the story, but you know that, that Pharaoh was, was going to kill the young Hebrew boys. And so Moses' mom made a basket, put him in a basket, sent him down the river, sent his, his sister Miriam to watch over. Just make sure it doesn't, doesn't happen in this river. And just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter came down to take a bath. She came down to take a bath, and it just so happens that baby in that basket came, walking, uh, came, came wading right by. I don't know what that... Came boating right by. And Miriam got to, got to step in because Pharaoh's daughter wasn't in a place. She, had no, she didn't have a child. She couldn't, she couldn't nurse this child. So Miriam steps in and says, I know somebody. Through the work of God, Moses got to be nursed by his birth mother. Think about how sweet that was. She got to whisper into his ear the promises of God. She got to sing over him the history of her people. How God was faithful. Exodus chapter 2 verse 10 says, When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses. She looked down at him. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. It's important wording there. I drew him out of the water. Now, she knew he was a Hebrew boy. She knew his background. She knew she was not supposed to like him. She looked down and she said, that's my Moses. I drew him up out of the water. John 8, John 8 and Romans 5, for the sake of time, I won't go there and read it all for you, but it tells of our heritage. It tells of our background. We're not Hebrew boys in a basket but our heritage, we were born into sin, it says, having a father in the evil one, being Satan. 
It's been said, our birth father, who's Satan, has fangs and passes on a history of generational brokenness. That's who we are. Don't believe me. Go, go to John 8. Go to Romans 5. Read it. Hey, why are you there? Just back up to Romans 1 and just start reading. You'll find out your condition. You'll find out who you are. Apart from Christ, you'll find out. But according to a plan only the Father knows, He chose us to be His sons and daughters with all the rights, with all the privileges, with all the responsibilities associated with being in His family. Because of our faith in Christ, we are actually in the family of God. If you keep reading in the book of Romans, you'll get to Romans chapter 11. And in Romans 11, it's a really important picture for my family, and it's a really important picture for my spiritual journey, and it should be for you too. Romans 11 is where we get the picture of being grafted into the family of God. See, once not a child of mine, now a child of mine, my family tree was, was already started. But God, through adoption, took this child and made him my child and grafted him into my family tree. Romans 11 talks about how we are grafted into the family tree of God as sons and daughters. Beautiful picture. Spend some time there. Really being thankful for what God has done. CJ became my son. I tell him I love him as my son, not as an imposter, not as an outsider, but as a branch of my family tree. He is now mine. He is my son. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the obedience of Christ to a perfect life, death and resurrection, the Father looks at us and says, Chris is my son. I've been grafted into the family of God. So we not only get to, to have a relationship with the Father where he will call us sons and daughters, but he gives us a valuable inheritance. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. At creation, the earth was made to house the image bearers of God, that's man, to live and rule with the Father. But because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, our inheritance to the benefits of the family of God, these relationships, these rights, these privileges, and responsibilities was broken. The only way to be mended, God determined, was a sinless sacrifice. That takes us out of the equation. But in John 14, we see where Jesus is speaking. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. Paraphrase my words. But hold on, I got this. He has, he says, he has no claim on me. No accusing attorney could swoop in with a damning accusation against Jesus. He's without sin, without brokenness, without the stain of his past. We get the privilege of an inheritance. We get to become a member of the family of God through Jesus. Don't miss this. Galatians 3 goes on to talk about how we become heirs according to the promise. This heir, this word heir means... One who receives his allotted possession by right of sonship. You're not an outsider. You're an actual son and daughter of God. 
I will likely be doing ministry until I draw my final breath. Some of you in this room, it's, it's not better or worse, but you have an exit strategy to your, to your business, to your work, to your professional career. Um, this, we have not picked a, um, a lucrative, let me qualify this, because of the way that we see ministry, we understand the gospel, we're probably not going to get rich doing this. You are very generous. And we are, we are very well taken care of. So, so don't misunderstand me. But the inheritance that I get to leave my family will not come in the form of dollars and cents or land and possessions. The inheritance that I get to leave my sons and you get to leave your family, far more important inheritance is the inheritance that we get from being part of the family of God. The only inheritance I can leave my sons is the description and evidence of how I have received my inheritance from my Heavenly Father. This is why in 2009 I submitted to the legal system to have CJ's name changed. His given name was Christopher, and my given name is Christopher, so this was going to cause some issues at home. We don't know who's getting yelled at. I mean, lovingly corrected, however y'all say it in your home. And so I wanted to pick a middle name, and I was convinced that his middle name should be Joseph. Not just because then I could call him CJ, but because of what, what the story of Joseph meant and what it means. I knew that when we submitted to have CJ's middle name changed to Joseph, he needed to have the reminder, the picture of Joseph being taken up out of the hole in the ground. Do you remember that story? His brothers put him in a hole in the ground. They're tired of him, discarded him, then sold him to some, to some travelers, just, just passing by. Sounds like a beautiful picture you want your, your son to have. There's more to the story. I wanted him to have this picture of Joseph being taken up out of the hole in the ground to be sold, only to be used as a part of God's ultimate plan in working in and through his chosen people. Joseph had to get to Egypt and use his God-given wisdom to help with the food shortage during the famine, which would be the reason his family, the Israelites, would end up in Egypt. It was then over the next 400 years that, that his people would wind up in slavery to a wicked leader, a very wicked leader, whose daughter had just so happened chosen to take a bath at the river and been intersected by this little boy in a basket, this Hebrew boy that would become her son, that she would name Moses because she drew him up out of the water. She drew him up out of the water that Moses would later triumphantly lead his people out of captivity, giving these people a picture of what was to come and what was taking place on that day. Jesus came up out of the tomb, conquering death and making possible the adoption of sons and daughters, me and you to the Father.
Jesus hung on the cross. He died and was buried in a hole in the ground. And our curse was lifted up out in exchange for the righteousness of the Son. Legally standing before God justified, but also accepted into the family of God and adopted as a son and daughter with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities associated with that family. So when we read James 127, and it says, hey, be looking after these orphans. Just remember that before the foundation of the world, the Father looked after you. And he chose you to be his adopted son and his adopted daughter. To be a part of his family, grafted into the family tree of God. And sure, there's rights and there's privileges, but there's also responsibilities. And if it's been done to us and it's been done for us, then shouldn't we be about looking after those ones that need the love and the care, the example and the demonstration of a heavenly father that knows full well your background and still loves you, knows full well what you're capable of doing, knows full well the secrets of your heart, the dirtiness of your mind and your heart, and still chose to send his son that you might be redeemed, a relationship once broken, now brought back into fullness through the work of Christ on the cross. That's adoption. It would be a joy of mine to celebrate in adoption with you all. You adopt a baby, you become part of our family. Adopted families are, are rare, so, so we kind of stick together. It's like left-handed people. You know, if I find out you're left-handed, top-notch. We got some story, we got some things to talk about. Maybe somebody that's been adopted into the family of God should talk to somebody else that's been adopted into the family of God and talk about how you can get more people adopted in the family of God and share in these rights and these privileges and these responsibilities. May we be about taking care of, looking after these little ones the way that the Father has taken care of and looked after us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. You have done far more than what we deserve. And we understand anew each day the depth of your love for us. And God, we praise your name that before the foundation of the world, you had a plan. And so that gives us security and that gives us hope that we look at, to our left and to our right and all that's going on and we, uh, we become fearful. We become overwhelmed. God, your plan is perfect and you are in control. And so we submit to you our lives, our energy. God, give us ways and opportunities to be about making much of your name. God, would one of those ways be about looking after your little ones? It'd be for our good and we would give you the glory. We pray this. Amen. Thank you.